So we're on uh, lesson four of the summer quarter, 2022. The title of the lesson is Lady Wisdom. It's covering Proverbs 8 and 9. And uh, so, Lord, we do thank you for your word. Proverbs is so practical. If we pay attention to it, we will be wise people. And um, we will be able to navigate life uh, well and obtain your blessing. So we pray that you would help us to take it in and uh, utilize this wisdom that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, the first section here is called Wisdom's Message, and that is verses 1 through 11 of chapter 8. Do I have a, a reader for, for those verses? Okay, thank you. So, in chapter 8 and 9, wisdom is personified as a woman. In uh, chapter 9, verses 13 through 18, folly is also personified as a woman. So there are two women competing, two competing women here. So again, in verses 1 through 4, does not wisdom call, understanding lift up her voice on the top of the heights beside the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand. We saw that in chapter 1, right? Wisdom does not hide herself. She is not in a uh, secluded mountainside cabin in Tibet, you know. She is very accessible. She's in the middle of population centers, and she's not quiet. Okay, so if you are willing to listen, wisdom is available to you. So no one can say that wisdom is not available. And actually, um, Solomon here depicts her as a pretty aggressive preacher. She is, verse 4, To you, O men, I call. My voice is to the sons of men, so she's calling out. And uh, she's where people can get to her. Yeah, and it's not, you know, the, the biggest choice, of course, is are you going to choose Jesus or not? That determines your eternal destiny. But there's a choice every minute of every day, almost. There's a choice every day. Are you going to listen to the Lord and his word, or are you going to do what you feel like? Which is a Holy Spirit matter. And, uh, you know... There's a constant uh, tug of war within us because our sin nature is still there, and it's like, hey, man, I want to do what I want to do. <laughs> and so it's a learned process. You know, I, as you mature, I think it's, it's less of a struggle. But especially when you're a new believer, it's a horrific struggle. And we have experience behind us now of how we've chosen and what has happened. Yeah. Yeah, how we've chosen and what has happened, that, that teaches us. So verse 5, O na naive ones, understand prudence, and O fools, understand wisdom. So who would you consider naive ones? Yeah, usually when you consider naive, that, that's not, they're, yeah, little kids, you know, inexperienced, they're children, young people, 
they're naive. Why? Because they haven't had experience. They haven't been beat up. Yeah. So they're so wisdom is calling to the naive. Yeah, and because she wants to teach the naive. So it is better to listen to wisdom while you're young than to learn the hard way, right? If you're, you're, Paul has said this, you know, Paul was raised in the church. He was homeschooled. He accepted the teaching and he has lived that way his whole life. And he was a youth pastor over at Sunrise Baptist. And then, you know, you would hear people say, well, I want to experiment and try things. And he couldn't imagine doing that because if you go away from what is wise, what's going to happen? Disaster, pain, and loss. Some Sometimes loss that cannot be regained. And uh, so, you know, wisdom wants people to avoid these things. Wisdom personified here. But yeah, I've heard someone very close to me say, well, I want to make mistakes so I can learn. Someone very close to me has said this, and that's not necessary because you will be scarred. You will be scarred by the mistakes. You know, sin causes you to lose things. And you can, once you repent, your relationship with God is restored like that. But there's a scar. So there's a example in... Uh, something we've already gone over, and that is chapter 6, verses 32 to 35. The one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. He who would destroy himself does it. Wounds and grace he will disgrace he will find. His reproach will not be blotted out. Okay, that's an irreversible thing. For jealousy enrages a man, he will not spare in the day of vengeance, he will not accept any ransom, nor will he be satisfied, though he give many gifts. So um, if you want to experiment with adultery, you're going to have a, a permanent, irreversible scar. You can still be saved, still go to heaven. But in this life, there will be an irreversible So that's not how we want to experiment and make mistakes and and learn from that. We don't want to learn that way. No. There's a much better and easier way. Well, that was the... Exactly. Let's experiment here by going against God's will, you know. But Jesus knew God's will. He said, you, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Yeah, and so he didn't do it. So that's that, that, what you're doing. that is exactly what you're doing. Yes, you're tempting God. It said in the Word. So verses 6 through 9, the, wisdom, the lady wisdom speaking, I will speak noble things, the opening of my lips will reveal right things, my mouth will utter truth, wickedness is an abomination to my lips. Wisdom is a sure thing. Wisdom can be fully trusted without reservation. You know, if you look in, and wisdom is here, in God's word. We're going to see later, there, there are a couple of interpretations of wisdom and what that is. You know, I personally think it, it's wisdom. You know, it's a metaphor. Um, there are some that say this is Jesus Christ, but for certain reasons I, I don't think that is true, although Jesus is full of wisdom. Yes, yes. All of it, yeah. He is full of wisdom, yeah. So 
But anyway, wisdom, uh, specifically God's word, can be fully trusted. So the entire Bible is this way. And if we want to look at Psalm 119 and verse 98, Psalm 119, verse 98, your commandments make me wiser than my enemies. That's a good thing, isn't it? For they are ever mine. And then this one, Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So God's word is reliable. And then verses 10 and 11, take my instruction and not silver and knowledge rather than choices, choicest gold for wisdom is better than jewels and all desirable things cannot compare with her. What is she saying here? Wisdom is better than jewels. Well, contained within wisdom is material wealth also, right? A wise person tends to do what the Lord says and is blessed by it. And many times that's with material wealth as well. In addition to all the other spiritual blessings, that's what happened to Abraham. Abraham was blessed with material wealth. Um, Job also was blessed with material wealth. You know, it's not a, you can't say that for sure because that's the prosperity gospel, right? Which is a false gospel. Uh, sometimes the Lord desires for you to be poor. I mean, wisdom is worth more than material goods. It is a pathway to, number one, the Lord, and to his blessing. And so Jesus said this. This is very well known to us. Matthew six thirty-three, part of the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And will you, when you say what things, he's talking about what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear. All those things will be added when you seek the Lord and his righteousness. Yes. You mean if you're seeking the Lord and you seem to be poor? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the church in Smyrna was that way the persecuted church, right? The Lord had no condemnation for them. Um, but he said they were abjectly poor. I mean, they were extremely poor, but they were still alive. And he was sustaining them. And, you know, if you want to see something about that, look at George Mueller's biography, where they would have nothing. So he would sit down with his orphans around the table and they'd say the blessing and bag of groceries that appear at the and doorstep. The only person you know? asked of anything was the Lord. He didn't ask yeah, exactly. He didn't ask Personally, I feel that if you are down to nothing and you call on the Lord, he will answer. Somehow. Like right, we don't tempt to. Can you open up you right, you know, I mean, that makes you think of the parable of the prodigal son who got his money, he went off, and he spent it on, you know, prostitutes and drunkenness. Yes, sir. And so while he. Living. Yeah, while living. And so he became poor. And then the Lord, on top of that, sent a famine. 
Why? Because he's teaching him something, you know? And this brought him back to his father because he says, at least that my father's servants had something to eat. And he wanted to eat the pig's food. Yeah. And he, he couldn't, he would, you know, they wouldn't give him the pig's food. Those are the, that's for the pigs. Yes. Yes. That's right. And it has to be voluntary. It has to be from their own heart. It cannot be from someone else's heart. The, you know, the Holy Spirit has to be from their own heart. And, um, right, right. Because that leads to, what is going on in our country right now? What went on in China in the Cultural Revolution? What went on in the in the Russia in the Bolshevik Revolution was that very thing. You know, you need to give more. Someone else telling someone you need to give more, and specifically you need to give it to me. See, that is sin. So, if someone is wealthy and you don't think they're giving enough, you should pray for them. You should pray for the Lord to move their heart. Okay, so section B, Wisdom's Rewards. Somebody want to read that one? 12 through 21. Yeah, so in verse 12, it says, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence. So I was thinking, well, okay, what do those mean exactly? So I looked up the definition this is the Merriam-Webster definition of wisdom. Good sense, judgment, a wise attitude, belief, or course of action. These things are very closely related. Prudence is defined in the same dictionary as the ability to govern and discipline oneself by the use of reason. Sagacity or shrewdness in the management of affairs. So, shrewd, you want to be shrewd, is prudence. You know, I've heard it said, we're going to get to a verse here in this lesson where the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And in chapter 1, verse 7, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And so, I've heard, and I think, I, I like this definition, you know. Wisdom is knowledge applied. Wisdom is knowledge applied. So you need knowledge, and that's what we're looking to get here when we're in the, studying the Bible and we're learning. But applying it is wisdom, applying what you learn. So verse 13, here's another thing that the fear of the Lord is, is to hate evil. And then it describes evil, pride and arrogance, and the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. I put online on Facebook something about the fear of the Lord, and someone I know from high school put back and said, I don't, I'm not afraid of Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Well, she, she professes to be a believer. Exactly, yeah. People, when the fear is, think of, you know. And I think there is a certain amount of, to, even to the believer, there should be a certain amount of fear, fear, yeah, fear yeah, of God because of his unlimited power, you know. But uh, for us, it's more of a uh, very respectful reverence, you know. It's like uh, Esther, you know. She was married to the king, 
but she was afraid of the king because she couldn't go see the king on her own Life under fear of death, death. It, without his inviting her. So that was a very loving marriage. But <laughs> and that's the blood sacrifice, right? That's the blood sacrifice applied to you. It's Jesus' blood applied to you as the proper attire for someone approaching God. Otherwise, you'll you'll flame out. He'll yeah, he'll just burn you into a crisp if you come without that blood sacrifice. So this is from Ephesians to the Ephesian church. It talks here about the perverted mouth. So Ephesians 4.29, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. So we want our speech to be uplifting. Of course, we, we are told to rebuke when necessary, but we don't have to abuke in a perverse way. We don't have to abuke with uh, profanity. We can rebuke without that. And, uh, you know, for the purpose of the rebuke, you know, is to correct. So verse 15, By me wisdom kings reign, and rulers decree justice. So good kings reign by justice. And what does that create? A good ruler of a country will create a stable, lasting political structure. You know, our founders, they didn't want a king, but they gave us the Constitution, which 34% of it is from Scripture. And um, so it has created, that is why we are the longest in history constitutional republic, uh, because it creates a stable, long-lasting political structure if the rulers reign by God's wisdom. And we're losing that now. I mean, the Constitution is cracking and breaking away. And uh, that's why the, we should uh, thank God for these Supreme Court justices who ruled according to the Constitution in the face of just withering criticism and violence. Yeah, and then the rest of this section again talks about material wealth associated with wisdom. That's because you're prudent. That's right. That's because you don't go into debt. You know, you do the things that it says here in Proverbs. You know, you don't co-sign for somebody else's loan. Um, you work diligently, and so you become a uh, useful to your employer. He doesn't want to lose you. He might even give you uh, raises to keep you because you are a diligent worker and you're reliable and you're truthful and all those things, you know. That leads to um, not just spiritual blessing, but also to material prosperity, which then, if you're wise, you will also give it as the Lord leads. You know, verse 21, to endow those who love me with wealth that I may fill their treasuries. So that is not the prosperity gospel, but there is a there is a promise here that if you work hard um, and you follow the 
prompts of scripture to to work hard, to be honest, to be reliable, that you will be a a valuable employee or, you know, if you own a business, that your business will succeed through those things and you'll do well. Yeah, and that's the, the whole idea of living uh, without debt, right? Living without within your means and not taking on debt. Um, and, you know. Okay, so say anything else about that? Section C, Wisdom in Creation. How about I'll read that one? 22 through 31. The Lord possessed me, wisdom, at the beginning of his way, before his works of old. From everlasting I was established, from the beginning, from the earliest times of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. While he had not yet made the earth and the fields, nor the first dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he inscribed a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when the springs of the deep became fixed, when he set for the sea its boundary, so that the water would not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him as a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the world his earth, and having my delight in the sons of men. Now, what does that sound like? Yeah, and, you know, I, the NIV translates, it says, the Lord brought me forth, or something like that in verse 22, at the beginning of his way. Is that right, Ricky? That is not a very, very accurate translation. The Hebrew word there is kanani, which comes from the Hebrew kana, which means to possess or to acquire. That, that is how uh, Eve named Cain came from kana. I have acquired a man from the Lord, or to possess. So I think in this context, it says the Lord possessed me. I think the NASB is a better translation. The Lord from eternity has possessed wisdom. Yeah, so again, chapter 8 is the longest sustained personification of an attribute in the Bible. The whole chapter is as wisdom, which is an attribute of God, speaking as a woman. That whole chapter, and that's the longest personification sustained in the Bible. So anyway, verses 22 through 27, it makes it sound like Jesus. And actually, one of Dane's favorite Bible interpreters believes this, Arno Gabelin, if I'm pronouncing his name right, he believes that it is Jesus, you know, but Jesus is male, for one thing. Um, he's not a woman. And uh, Jesus is the creator himself. And uh, there, I, I found two Bible commentators that agreed with our view <laughs> about that. One is Thomas Constable, who is uh, very reliable. He has an online 
commentary called Sonic Light, and I've I've gone to him many times. What's the name of it again? Sonic Sonic Light. Uh, he has a whole Bible commentary that he updates. It has all sorts of uh, references in it. And the other one is the Bible Knowledge Commentary, which the uh, Dallas Seminary people put out in 1983, I think, which I don't always agree with, but especially in Isaiah. I think that the proper understanding of this passage is that wisdom is possessed by God and it's being personified as a woman here. And, of course, wisdom was there at creation because God was there at creation. So verse 27 is an interesting verse. Look at verse 27. When he, God, established the heavens, I was there. Now then look what he says. When he inscribed a circle on the face of the deep. Proverbs was written by Solomon around, what was Solomon's reign, 970 to 940 B.C.? Or, no, 970 to 930, something like that, 40 years. But a thousand years before Christ. And he's talking about the earth as round in this verse, isn't he? He inscribed a circle on the face of the deep. You know, when you look at a horizon, it's the arc of a circle. That implies the earth is round. Solomon knew that. A thousand years before yeah, this, Christ. Yeah, this is yeah, and so that once makes me want to talk about the scripture because this is part of the biblical worldview right here. This made me look up something about worldviews. Everybody know what a worldview is? It's how you view the world. <laughs> That's a worldview, you know. And this is uh, a, uh, a survey by uh, Barna's organization, George Barna, about uh, worldviews held by Americans. And the most common worldview, guess what the most common worldview is in America? It, that's not it. It is surprising. Now, only 6% of people hold this view. But it's the most common, consistent worldview. You have to put that word consistent in. The greatest worldview held by Americans is an inconsistent worldview. But the most common consistent worldview is the biblical worldview at 6%. Six. Six. The second most common consistent worldview is secular humanism. And that is what is taught by default in the public school, secular humanism. The third is called moralistic therapeutic deism. Anybody heard of that one? I had not heard of that. Just talking about yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> moralistic therapeutic deism. I know it's weird. It's weird, but this is a recent. This is a recent uh, thing put together. It was coined by two sociologists, Christian Smith and Melina Denton, in their 2005 book *Soul Searching: The Religious and Spiritual Lives of American Teenagers*. And these are its its beliefs. Number one, 
There's a God who exists, who created and ordered the world, and watches over human life on earth. Okay, sounds good. Number two, God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. Number three, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about yourself. Number four, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life, except when God is needed to resolve a problem. And number five, good people go to heaven when they die. That is moralistic, therapeutic deism. <clears throat> yeah, I'm not sure where the therapeutic part is either. But, you know, the deism means they're... God created the earth, and then he stood apart. He's not involved. That's de deism. Yeah. So now, as far as the consistent worldview, the most common is biblical worldview, but the most common worldview is this moralistic therapeutic deism, because most people don't have a worldview that is consistent. They will believe some parts of one, they will believe some parts of another. And the most common that they lean to is this, which is basically doctrines of demons. This is doctrines of demons. The good go to heaven when they die. Well, who are the good? You go to heaven based on Jesus' blood, sacrifice. And so that is why in our church we want to teach a biblical worldview to the people here because that is what is true. And the biblical, and it's what Dana is teaching through right now, Genesis 1 to 11, is extremely important as far as a biblical worldview, because it gives you the divine institutions of conscience, of marriage, of work, labor, of human government, which he just went over, and He's going to speak on, I don't know if this time or next time, about the nation state. The nation state is a divine institution. And, uh, you know, so a lot of churches, they don't have a biblical worldview. Are people saved in them? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, because all you have to do is believe in Jesus to be saved. But to have a biblical worldview is how God uses you. Yeah, that's discipleship. But they're also going to be yeah, well, you know, if they're if they really are believers, their reward level will be low if they're teaching falsehood. But um, we want to teach a biblical worldview, and that includes the nation state, and that includes you know things like uh, what Dane was it you know and that the state does have the right of capital punishment. There's a lot of churches, the Catholic Church is one, that is against capital punishment. Being against capital punishment is not biblical. It is not a biblical stance, position. And, you know, yeah, so anyway, we want that the way to be useful to the Lord is to have a biblical worldview. And that is why we believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. We believe in the autographs. They were given by God. They're totally inerrant, and also that it is sufficient for everything we need. We don't need psychology. We don't need marketing. Uh, we don't need anything else. The Scripture is adequate for what we need, and that's in Second Timothy 
3, 1 through 1 and 16. Yeah, thank you. 2 Timothy 3, 16, for you who are online. <laughs> so I didn't get through the whole thing. I'm sorry, but anyway, it's good stuff. Lord, we thank you for the wisdom you give us, and we pray that you would make us willing to learn it and apply it in our lives so that we might grow and that we might be useful to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So what is next week?